Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Welcome to episode 16 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. How exactly does a person go from overspending and unfulfilled at age 30 to being retired at age 35? Some of the answers lie within today's episode, and I'm overjoyed to welcome Steve Adcock onto the podcast to explain some of those answers to us. Some of you guys might already know Steve. He's had stories and videos made about him on CNBC, on MarketWatch, on Business Insider, and other national publications. I'm really excited that Steve shared so many cool thoughts with me, and it's an honor to bring those thoughts to you. So, without further ado, let's go meet Steve. That's Steve Adcock on episode 16 of the Best Interest Podcast. My guest today is Steve Adcock. I first heard about Steve from Think, Save, Retire, a kick-ass blog. He founded It's All About Personal Finance, Investing, and Early Retirement, the kind of stuff I love. And early retire, Steve did at age 35. Steve and his wife, Courtney, who is also early retired, they live in an off-grid, environmentally friendly house in sunny Arizona. In fact, last week they were featured, and their house was featured, on a CNBC video that has been viewed over 400,000 times as of this recording. That's in one week. So I hope you guys check that video out. And now he's here today speaking with us. So it's an honor to welcome you, Steve, to the Best Interest Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for the opportunity. And to be honest with you, I had no idea that got 400,000 views. The last <laughs> I checked, it was like 150K or something. But I'm glad. I'm not, I, I guess I'm glad that people find interest in living a non-traditional life. And that's really where all this begins. Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. That is one of the big draws is just that's such a cool story. That's such a, a different story from what I'm used to hearing. And I want to find out more. So I mean, despite how viral it's gone, that video, I know there's still going to be some people tuning in here who aren't familiar with you and your story. So do you mind actually starting with just a couple minutes about kind of your early retirement story? Yeah, um, I started well, I worked a, a relatively high paying job in information technology right out of the gate. So I graduated from college, got this $55,000 a year job. This was back in 2005, 2004, actually. So 55 grand was a pretty darn good starting salary mm -hmm. uh, today, much less back then. So right. I've never really been um, a stranger to earning some money and, 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 and setting myself up, I guess, to, to build wealth. But I never actually put the pieces into place until much later in life. Um, but I found that throughout my career in IT, even though it paid very well, uh, I, it drained the life out of me. I didn't really enjoy going, going to the office. I kind of assumed, and I think a lot of people assume, that when you graduate from college, and you go into you know, your professional career, you start working in an office with people around you who are highly experienced, you kind of get the feeling that you're gonna, you're gonna work with these highly trained, very smart, professional people, and you're gonna have to fight to keep up and it's gonna be a grind. Um, but after about the first week, that really, that dissuaded me from believing that any further, I guess I'll say it that way, because I was <laughs> like, okay, so this is, 
this is it. This is, this is what, this is what being a professional means. Uh, I think I could, you know, this, I, I think I could do better. And at that point, it took me like 15 or I guess 10 years uh, for me to actually put the pieces into place to make that happen. But from the very beginning, I wasn't all that impressed with being a professional. Um, didn't really know what to do with my life at that point, but I just sort of continued to muddle through, muddle through and make good money, spend the majority of it on like a motorcycle and a Corvette and things that I thought made me happy. Um, <laughs> but those things definitely did not make me happy. Mm-hmm. Would you say, I mean, those things maybe made you happy for a little while, but right where you, you know, you're thinking like, you know, after two weeks in the Corvette, you just kind of say, okay, now what's the next shiny object? Pretty much. Yeah. It was, it was giving myself something to focus on that wasn't work that I thought was, you know, it's, it's going to bring a little excitement into my life. And it did. I mean, buying a Corvette, I supercharged it. I put long tube headers in it, uh, a twin disc clutch forged rear end. It was the loudest, fastest car, probably within 50 square miles, wherever I happen to be. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun at least for a little while, Yeah, Uh, but then it began to, it became a money pit and things were breaking as race cars, you know, things just break because you drive them rough. Um, And it, it really started to lose its luster uh, pretty quickly, especially after I moved from Virginia, which is where I started my career out to Arizona, which is where I live now. And that's where I ended my full-time career. I mean, I'm curious, Steve, how you start in IT, you say to yourself pretty quickly, I don't know how long I want to stay on this typical corporate track. You start out spending money, but then you quickly realize, okay, spending money on material things has its upper limit that you hit pretty quickly. And now you're here. So somewhere in between, I'm sure you kind of changed perspective or started focusing on new things that brought you to early retirement. I mean, what were some of those important gates that you hit in in that time span? Well, it all started with this Saturday morning. I, I walked out into my garage as I would normally do on a Saturday meal is going to the gym or the grocery store or something. And I reached up to open up the garage door, but something stopped me. And I just stood there and I turned around and I looked at what was in my garage on the left. It was a almost brand new Cadillac CTS on the right was my 1999 supercharged Corvette, which I still had at the time. And sandwiched in between was my Yamaha R1 sport bike, which you can easily, easily kill yourself on. I paid Uh like $220 a month for insurance alone for that thing. Anyway, I looked at all those toys or all those things that I thought were making me happy. And that morning was, I think, the very first time where I admitted to myself that I have all of these things. I have these cars, I have the motorcycle, I have the house in the suburbs, I'm making a good salary, but yet something was still missing. I wasn't really all that happy. I didn't feel like I was fulfilled, like I didn't have a purpose. So that morning was the first, I guess, realization that I couldn't do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily know about early retirement at that point or financial independence. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I couldn't work in IT in a traditional corporate environment for the rest of my life. That's awesome. So it sounds like you, you didn't necessarily know your path ahead of you, you just right. realized that the path that you were on needed to stop. And it just kind That's of right. came to you in that, that moment of clarity on that Saturday morning. I love that. 
That's right. And I believe it or not, I actually considered becoming a truck driver, just quitting my job, buying a cab and just living a nomadic life mm -hmm. uh, for a while, because that's you may, you don't get paid all that well necessarily, but you never take your work home with you. Once your job's done, it's it's done. You make a delivery, then you just turn around and go back and do it again. It was very I, ultimately I'm glad I didn't do that because I wouldn't right. have been happy, but I was so um, I guess dissatisfied with what I was doing that I actually considered selling everything and becoming a truck driver, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which was interesting. Never, a lot of never happened, obviously, but it was sure. interesting. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people can relate to that on uh, to some degree. I mean, the idea of sure. like, I, I do not know what path lies ahead of me. I just need a change. I need something different. And right, some sort of clean slate. The truck driver lifestyle does sound like it absolutely could be that clean slate. Now, timeline though, Steve, if I have it right. So you, you mentioned earlier, career started in 2005. I mean, roughly how many years in was this kind of moment of clarity for you? Do you remember? Um, I want to say when I was 30-ish and I okay. started work when I was 24. So I'd say about six years into my career right. um, is when I, I finally, I guess, admitted to myself that I couldn't do this for, for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that is, that's interesting. I, I spoke with a, a mutual friend of ours, Andy, last week, and he, he spoke to me and said that he kind of had a, a moment of clarity in his finances somewhat later around that age, around 30. I'm 31 right now. And I know a lot of people I speak with, they say, well, boy, you know, I spent my 20s blowing my money and, and I guess it's too late to really turn the ship around. But I mean, one thing I always try to tell them is it's not too late to turn the ship around. And so you had this moment of clarity at 30 and then in the next five or so years, not only did you turn your ship around, but you kind of turned it into a rocket and you, you headed to early retirement. Yeah. I, I think the phrase is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today is mm -hmm. right now. And it, it, you, you might be in your, your late thirties or forties or fifties, and you wish you would have done things earlier in your twenties your and thirties. But I mean, you can't, you, you can't, go, go back in the past and change history. You, you think things are the way they are and you just have to blaze forward the best you can from today. What, whatever that looks like for you, just make it happen starting today and forget about the past. Um, so, I mean, that, that was, that was true for me to a degree. Yes. It started earlier for me. Um, and I also had the advantage of marrying my wife who didn't really want earlier retirement necessarily, but also wasn't necessarily against the idea of early retirement. She liked her job. She liked the people that she worked with, um, but she was also working in IT. So I think where this, where I finally started to put the pieces in the place to make this happen was when I met my wife, we combined both of our salaries. Well, I met my soon to be wife. <laughs> Can't okay. say she was my wife when I met her. Um, and we combined both high IT salaries. And when you save 70% of about $220,000 by the end, I mean, that wealth adds up super quickly and it becomes very meaningful, very, very rapidly if you know what to do with that money. Right. I'm glad you brought up I'm glad you brought up your wife, Courtney, because if, if I'm getting my facts straight, having read your work and, and watched some of your videos, she did play a, a fairly uh, instrumental role in you maybe writing the financial ship or, you know, you you on your own were in that garage saying, OK, the spending stops now. But it sounds like maybe Courtney 
was a, a big part of your relationship's success, financial success in determining, you know, here's how we need to save a little bit. Here are some ways we can be more frugal. Am I, am I getting those facts right? Yeah. And I, I can honestly say I would not be, I could easily say, I'll say it that way, that I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for, and it, yes, she brought a lot of additional income to mm -hmm. the table. I mean, that, that part's true, but also it's the non-monetary side of this whole story about really planning your future in a way that really makes sense for, for both of you. Uh, when we got married, we would take a walk with our dogs every single night after dinner in the, in the neighborhood. And we would talk about our future every single night and understanding with your spouse what your future looks like is going to make planning for that future and taking the right steps to get to that point so so much easier if you don't know what you're working for you're obviously not going to get there because there's no road ahead of you but if you do have that light at the end of the tunnel that ultimate long-term goal and mm -hmm. we were like i said we talked about that every day so it was always in the forefront of our minds that alone is going to set that ship in the right direction before her i never thought about my future i just knew that i didn't want what i was you know the the road that i was going down um but once we got together and we decided mutually what was going to work best for us that made putting the pieces into place way, way, way easier. They say, first, you've got to plan the work, and then you can execute and work your plan. And that's a picture perfect example of it, Steve, that you know you had to set out that that plan in front of you, and then you could start taking the steps to to execute on it. and And Courtney was a big a big help in doing that. And it actually, it makes me want to skip around a little bit in some of the questions I sent you beforehand. Sure. No because problem. what you just said reminded me of the fact that there's this huge uh, soft side and set of soft skills when it comes to personal finance, investing, those kind of things. And one of my personal catchphrases for the best interest is that money is a balance between math and psychology. And the FIRE community, they love their math. We love the 4% rule, calculating savings rates, building spreadsheets and that stuff. But I really enjoy reading your work and, and listening to you, Steve, because you talk a lot about some of these psychological tactics or lessons or mind frames that have helped you in your journey to early retirement. So can you share a few of those, a few of those with us right now? Yeah, money is money really is the the easy part it, there's there, there's just no question about it doing the math i mean the formulas for the most part always work but it's the mindset behind earning more money and putting that money to good use that's that is what is going to get you to that ultimate goal whatever that whatever that happens uh, to look like for you and i think that the most important part if you have a spouse is to get on the same page and even if there's, there's this this wide gap between what you want and what your spouse wants at least knowing what you want and what your spouse wants just knowing that gap knowing how wide it is will will start the snowball rolling into maybe closing that gap finding areas um, in your plans where they might actually align closer than you thought they did, mm -hmm. which would, which, which I think is an interesting part for a lot of people, but if they never talk about it, they'll, they'll, they'll never know. So talking about that and closing that gap, regardless of, of how 
wide it happens to be. I mean, that that is going to absolutely get you to where you need to be sooner. And if you don't have a spouse, really, like I, the, the trap that I fell into, I never really thought about what I wanted. I just knew what I didn't want. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. They're not satisfied with what they're doing now, but they don't necessarily know what they want in the future. And I think that's okay. But if you are in that boat now, the best thing that you can do is to make financial independence, make financial freedom your primary goal. Because even if you don't know what you're, what you're shooting for, having that wealth accumulate over time is going to give you way more options in the future to start considering some of these, some of these opportunities or, or if your company gets bought and your boss instantly becomes horrible. If you have six months, if you have a six months e-fund, for example, you could just up and quit and find another job in two weeks or two months. It just, just doesn't matter. There's absolutely no downside right. to, uh, to achieving financial freedom, whether you're married or whether you're not. That last one, I can testify to it firsthand. Uh, not the part about quitting because of a new bad boss, but the part about... Uh, <laughs> living my uh, personal finance life as if I am pursuing fire, as if I'm pursuing early retirement. I'm not sure that I am. I, I enjoy going to work every day. Sometimes my job doesn't really fulfill me, but the idea of waking up every day and, and working on something is something I enjoy. So I might not ever retire from that. But over the past 10 years, maybe really over the past six years or so, learning about fire and really trying to save more money I've built up this nest egg that does put me on the path to early retirement. And should I choose to say at age, I don't know, maybe 45, I'll probably be able to pull that trigger and I'll be, I'll be fine. So I'm not sure if I will, but having that option is such a big relief and it makes me just feel more flexible in, in everything I do in life. Yeah, with with the fire community, I think people look at it in terms of, well, I have to want to early, I, I have to want to retire early in order for me to achieve financial independence, in order for me yeah. to understand the value of that concept. But that's absolutely not true. Like, like you said, early retirement's not gonna be for everybody, but financial independence absolutely should be for everybody because it gives you way more options in almost every facet of your life. And one thing I think that you talk about a lot, Steve, that I find really interesting, and I completely believe it being involved in the same kind of money community and, and content creation community and fire community that you're involved in, you talk about the fact that some of your career options have exponentially expanded since you've retired, that people reach out to you now and they say, Steve, you know, love your story. Can we, can we work together on this? You know, here's a opportunity for you, a paid opportunity. So just because you hit retirement, there are still things that you can do that can bring cash flow in if you're interested in them. Am I getting that right? It's so funny. I turn down way more job opportunities now than I ever did before. And I think part of the reason is when you work a full-time job, you know you have a full-time job. So you your mind just doesn't, it's not open to some of these other possibilities out there. But there are, and believe me when I say this, there are so many ways to make money. Money is everywhere. It is abundant. There are so many ways to make money that's outside of a traditional full-time job. And I think once we do make that, that leap, or if we do make that leap um, to early retirement, 
your mind is suddenly free from the demand of a nine to five and you start to see the world way, way different. And you start to accept these possibilities that, you know, if, if I do want to make some extra beer money, I can probably do that. It's, it, it's not that hard. I think that, well, I've, I've seen that when people have a marketable skill, they're never really going to be out of the market. Um, one of the biggest myths about early retirement is if you retire early, you'll never be able to get your job back again. And it's true that you might be able, might not be able to get that same job back again, but it's absolutely not true that you'll never be able, be able to work in the same industry and make money again. Because like I said, marketable skills never really lose their luster. Right. If, if they do it's from something outside of your control. Like, you know, the industry changed. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you retired, right? That, um, that's right, that's right. And especially in technology, I mean, things move so fast, but I haven't stepped a foot in an office in four years and I still on LinkedIn get job offers um, almost every week, even though I really haven't kept up with my skills. It, 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 just, it just happens. And that's, I think, one of the most surprising things to me how easy it is to make money after you retire if you want to and if it sounds like something that's going to make you happy. Right, right. Out of curiosity, I know some listeners are going to enjoy hearing some hard facts. I mean, what are a couple examples of those kind of opportunities? So other than career opportunities in your old IT field, have there been some new different opportunities that maybe you you weren't expecting? Um, well, I think as you as you get more involved in your community, you do tend to see oppor- opportunities just mm-hmm. locally, whether it's, you know, if you're good with working with your hands, you know, there's almost, there, there are almost always opportunities to, to work with your hands and build things and make things from, from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a creative person, and I think we all are creative to some degree, the people that you've worked with in the past, one of your coworkers might break off and want to start something on the side, may want to bring you in for 10 to 15 hours a week or something like that, just to get their business off the ground. Um, really it's, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely limitless. Yeah. Um, to really build as big of a network as you can while you're working full time, which will make it way easier if you do have to go back to work or you feel like, you know, I tried early retirement for a year this kind of sucks. I would rather get up and, and just, and just, and do something that takes up the wide portion of, of, of my day. And if you're that kind of person, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but the legwork that you did while you were working a full-time job is going to make that way easier after, after you quit that nine to five. Right. Right. And I think one thing you touched on early there was the idea that once you embed yourself in a community, uh, sometimes there will be people who just naturally reach out to you and say, oh, hey, Steve, I've seen you around these parts a lot. Uh, do you want to work together on this project? And I can wholeheartedly agree with that, whether it's through blogging and podcasting. And one opportunity that I'm pursuing right now that I'm excited about is uh, writing, helping to write newsletters for financial advisors, because I've got financial advisors and, and financial planners who read the best interest. And a lot of them say, I don't have 10 hours a month to, to write to my clients. Is there any interest? Do you have any mm-hmm. interest in doing that for me? Yes, I do. There's, there's an income opportunity. And, and where did it start? Well, just because I was doing something fun, I was doing something I was passionate about. 
Um, and I know, Steve, that one of your big lessons is that when someone does early retirement, when they retire early, they still have to have things that, that light their fire, that they're passionate about, that they're pursuing every day. So what, what does a typical day look like for you? And feel free, if I, just, if I just made you think of something else, you can start with that. No, 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 it's all good. I, I, yeah, a typical day for me usually starts, well, we have a new puppy now. So about 5 a.m., <laughs> we're up uh, with that puppy t- taking her outside before it was maybe 6 to 6.20. So we've always just kind of naturally been early morning, early to bed people. So mm-hmm. morning starts early, make some water and lemon, sit down in front of my computer, check you know, email, check some social things like that, maybe go for a walk with with the puppies, then come back. And I find that the morning for me is the most productive part of my day. So anything that I want to get done, whether it's online or something else, I tend to do that in the morning. Um, I'm spending a lot of time building up my Twitter presence, because that's one of the social media avenues that I like to use to give back and be influential and things like that. Uh, so I spend a lot, a lot of time there. I do some IT work on a contract basis, um, just to just to keep skin in the game and and my and my skills up because you never know what's going to happen in, in mm-hmm. the future. So I like to do that on projects that I actually feel like I can contribute in a positive way to. So that happens as well. Once lunch comes around, the afternoon is kind of a free-for-all. Maybe I'll go for another walk. Maybe we'll, you know, go out to the grocery store. Maybe I'll I'll screw around on Twitter some more. Maybe I'll write, maybe I'll add another email to my newsletter or publish a blog post. The afternoon is really up to me to fill that time however I like. And I think that's the most, that, that that's the coolest part about being early retired, the ability to plan your day in a way that works the best for you. And for me, it's the morning is my productive time. The afternoon is whatever I find interesting or whatever I want to be doing, I will use the afternoon hours uh, to pursue those things and get those things done. Right. So it sounds like you're not spending 10 hours a day (laughs) sipping mojitos, watching Netflix. (laughs) That is not retirement by your definition. Definitely, definitely not. And we do have Netflix. Uh-huh. And after after dinner, I will I will usually grab a drink like a tequila or maybe a bourbon and sit down and watch something on Netflix. I think especially if you're on Twitter, Netflix has this bad reputation that if you want to make money, you have to cancel Netflix. <laughs> Absolutely not true. Yes, yes, you can't spend all day on Netflix. That part's absolutely true. But if you have a Netflix subscription and you watch one or two shows a day, that's not going to kill you. That's mm-hmm. not going to make you less productive. In fact, it's a great way to unwind at the end of the day. So you could you could be a little bit more relaxed and go to sleep happy, which enables you to get up that next day and actually get things done. Yeah. That is the value of Netflix and, and entertainment options like Netflix. Um, Because you certainly don't want to burn yourself out, whether you're working a nine to five or building a business or even early retirement. You don't want to build yourself out because that's going to kill your productivity for the next day. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned there that I, I read stories about people who retire 
people who threw themselves into their careers for maybe 20 or 30 years. And that's really all they did. All they did. You know, their, their passion on the yeah. weekends was, well, well, I work on the weekends, you know, I'm, their, I'm job, all, yeah. their job, their job. And I think more power to them. If you love your job that much, that is amazing. But then when they retire, it's almost like there's this vacuum, you know, you can hear the air leaving the room, the room for being now what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What am I going to do with 12 hours, not just Monday through Friday, but even on the weekends, what do I do with my time? And, and more often than not, unproductive, unfulfilling things fill that vacuum. And they're left kind of saying retirement sucks. I don't really enjoy this. And not pointing the finger, but, but sometimes I think part of retirement planning isn't just financial. It's figuring out what do I want to do with my time? Yeah, I like this. I like to say there's an early retirement bell curve. Mm-hmm. Like this. So whenever you when you first retire, your happiness skyrockets. Like I'm, I no longer work a full time job. I hated my job. I'm no longer doing that. I get to do whatever I want. Your happiness goes up, goes up, goes up. Maybe you watch some Netflix. Maybe you you just screw around. What whatever your happiness within the first couple of weeks of quitting just really skyrockets but then you get to the top of that bell curve and you're starting to level out a little bit you're beginning to establish new habits whether those habits are good or not you know may may not necessarily be the case but your new routine is really becoming almost well it's almost becoming habit like and then the other side of that bell curve comes where you finally admit to yourself well, I can't just veg and watch TV all day. I can't just screw around on social all day. I don't feel productive at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then you come back down the other side of that bell curve. So the question is, how does your hap- how do you get your happiness to do one of these numbers and just continue to go up or at least go up and then just stay the same? And you know, I can't answer that for everybody because we're all so, so different. But for some people, it might be volunteer work or for others, it, it might be starting your own little side business. Um, whether you make money or not doesn't really matter because you're already financially independent because you did retire early. So whether you make money or not may not be as big of a deal to you. Or maybe you want to be an author, so you spend some time writing the book. What, whatever that looks like, you really have to have something aside from just chilling, aside from entertainment, aside from relaxing that you can do during the core hours of your day. Could be nine to three, could be seven to two, what, whatever that makes you feel productive. And then at the end of that day, you can start using those entertainment options to just kind of relax and, and kick back for a while. Um, but if you don't have that, you're going to see that early retirement bell curve and you're not going to be happy. You heard it here first, folks. I love it. I love it. You have to plan, <laughs> right? You can't just veg out. I think one of the issues is we spend our careers. I've been spending my career usually getting 49 weeks of work and three weeks of vacation. So I spend 16 weeks in a row going, oh, I can't wait for that one week camping trip. I'm just going to mm. sit on the lake. I'm going to sit by the fire, play some horseshoes, drink a Coors Light. It's going to be great. And that's my version of, you know, that's the thing I might be looking forward to. Well, it's good for that week. Maybe even I'd do it for two weeks if I could. But yep. if I was drinking Coors Light, playing horseshoes for a month, at some point I would say, what, what's next? I can't do this forever, you know? Yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> One thing, Steve, we're changing gears a little bit. Sure. I know people, they, they want to know some of, the, some of the hows 
And, and, you know, the more specifics, the better, but at the same time, I get it that money is, is sometimes a taboo subject, but if you're willing to share with us, could you share with the listeners, maybe a few details about, you know, how much you and well, you actually did already share $220,000 a year, roughly is how much you and Courtney earned. You saved Mm -hmm. about 70% of that, but just out of curiosity, what kind of investments did you choose? If if you chose to invest your money as you were approaching early retirement and, and maybe still now in retirement, and then also about how much did you guys have in your nest egg when you were finally ready to pull the trigger and retire? Yep. So the, the how is combining two high salaries mm-hmm. and saving the vast majority of that money. We, my wife and I both always contributed to our 401k, but it was for the majority of our careers, it was the bare minimum, whatever got us the company match, which was okay. 4%, I think actually for both of us. So we saved 4% in our traditional 401k for the vast majority of our careers. We did max that out like the last two or three years of our working careers. Um, but 4% for 12 of the 15 working years. Um, same thing with, with the Roth IRA. Um, and that company match, by the way, is free money is free money. Let me say that one more time. It's free money. So if your company does offer a company match, be sure you are investing at least that much to get the full company match because it's company money being contributed to your retirement plan. It is free money. Okay. So anyway, beyond our traditional 401k and our Roth IRA, we wanted to invest a lot more because we wanted to save about 70% of Mm $220,000. And so we opened up a Vanguard brokerage account in a targeted retirement um, strategy. So we are not, we don't pick and choose companies to invest in. We don't pick and choose stocks. We're not smart enough to do that. And frankly, I don't like focusing on investing. It, that, that, that's kind of hard for somebody in the fire community to admit, but mm-hmm. I freely admit that I find yields and I, I find all of that exceedingly boring. <laughs> so I don't want to worry about it. I just want to invest and make money. And in my experience, target retirement funds, life strategy funds, the automatically diversified funds are some of the best ways to invest your money without having to have any knowledge of the stock market about having any knowledge of companies or how all of the the earnings ratios all how how all of that how any of that works it's a great way to invest um and that's what we we did max out our 401ks by the end maxed out our roth iras by the end and put everything else in a uh, vanguard uh, brokerage account which was a targeted retirement fund worked out great that is awesome and i think i heard it from you it's a great soundbite, a great quote that 99% of people should be 100% in index funds, 100% right. in index funds. And I think for those 99% of people, for probably 95 plus percent of them, they should just pick a target date fund, just like you said, if not more. It's just so easy. Uh, you're letting Vanguard or Fidelity decide where, you know, how much stocks, how many bonds, what kind of your, your asset allocation should be so that you can glide into retirement in a, in a safe way. You can build wealth along the way, but your risk is changing over time. As you approach retirement, it's hands off, it's super smart, and you're getting all the benefits of, of being exposed to, to, to risk. You get that reward. Yeah. So the way targeted retirements 
retirement accounts work for those who mm-hmm. may not be familiar with them is you pick a date in the future. It could be any date. It doesn't matter what the date is. You just pick a date in the future that you think your retirement will be. And I, and I use that, that, that term in quotes, whenever you're done making the majority of your, of your wealth. And what happens is from the point where you open that account, you will primarily be invested in stocks and stocks are higher risk yet higher reward investment options. But as you get closer to that retirement date, the investment company like Vanguard or uh, Fidelity or anybody else will slowly transition your investments from stocks over to bonds. Bonds are less risky, but also less, less reward. So the idea here is you are taking more risk early taking less risk later as you're closer to your retirement date. And that happens all automatically. You do not have to lift a finger. And one of the biggest arguments against target retirement funds are the fees. Now, yes, fees absolutely add up. However, Vanguard has some of the lowest fees in the industry. I'm not sponsored in any way by Vanguard. I'm just telling you the truth. They have some of the some of the lowest fees, so that's why we go with them. Um, and I think those fees, for us anyway, are well worth paying if we don't have to pick and choose stocks and hope that this company you know, increases in, in, in value over the, over the next 10 years. It just doesn't matter because we're so well diversified that any one company or two companies or even 10 companies can go completely belly up and we are not going to lose our shirts because of it. Right. That, that was an amazing explanation, by the way, of the, the target date fund. Thank you for walking us through that. that I follow no that perfectly. And uh, like you said, diversification is a key word there. There's no reason to expose yourself to more risk than you need to by deciding to pick stocks. And if you can't tell, Steve is a very bright guy. I, I consider myself fairly well-educated on the subject and neither one of us think that we are smart enough or have the time or the experience to pick individual stocks. Because at least the way I explain it is I'm competing against some guy with three degrees and a hundred hours a week who's doing this professionally on Wall Street. And he's deciding if it's a good buy or a good sell. So, so why would I compete against him when I can pay low fees, invest in everything, and be happy with the returns through index funds? That's right. That's right. And I think the happy medium here is if you want to like dip your toes into you know picking and choosing stocks, you might just maybe earmark one percent or two percent of 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 your net worth and just make some some selections and see how how it goes. If if you like doing that, but you don't really trust yourself to make the right decision or you just don't want to lose all of your money, then mm-hmm. have the vast majority of your of your money in something like a targeted retirement account, but then just have a smaller portion of your money that you're okay losing all of that you are okay losing all of and pick and choose some, some stocks because you, you might make out well, but then again, you might not. So uh, that, that could be a happy medium for, for a lot of people. Completely agree. Now you said one or 2%. I think that's a great percentage. That's about what I do is, is you know, 98% of my money is in index funds, about 2%. I put it in a few different other places, one of which is a tiny little bit of Bitcoin. I've talked about it here before on the podcast. Yep. Uh, John Bogle, Jack Bogle, Uh, who founded Vanguard, who you invest with, Steve, he is quoted with saying, if you want to, you can go up to 5% of your net worth and you can call it play money. Obviously, you're going to treat it seriously. Mm -hmm. You're going to try to pick the right stocks. But the fact is, you might be wrong. 
So you don't want to risk a huge percentage of your money on something you might be wrong with. That's right. Just give yourself a little bit of wiggle room, but the vast majority of your wealth will be automatically diversified. You don't have to, you don't have to think about it. That freedom to me is well worth the, the cost of these. Mm-hmm. One, one detail that you and I know the answer to Steve, but some people, this is a great question that I see asked a lot. And it makes me realize that it's not always common knowledge. People will say, okay, so Steve retired at 35, Steve and Courtney retired in their thirties. And at that point they, you know, they're sitting on this pile of cash and that cash has to last them until, until the, the end of life, the next 50 years. Well, let's hope 70 years for you guys, another 70 years, but we should be so lucky, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they say, how can the cash that last that long? And, and the response is, well, it, it's probably not in cash. So are you still mostly, is most of your net worth still in the market? And if so, how has the market treated you since retirement? Yeah, and we, we are more risk tolerant. The vast majority of our wealth are in index funds. Mm-hmm. And to a lot of people, they would cringe at that because if the market does tank, that's going to take away a lot of the value of the stocks that we own. There's absolutely no question about that. Um, but then again, you don't lose stocks if you don't sell in a down market. So, I mean, there, there's, there's that side too. We're not losing the stock. The stock mm-hmm. went down in value. Yes, that sucks, but we're not losing money unless we sell. But yes, our the vast majority of our wealth is in index funds, which means we understand that when the market's doing well, we live pretty well. When the market's not doing so well, well, we don't live pretty well. Back in April of 2020, we lost about $220,000 in like that first two or three months after coronavirus hit. It was ravaging the entire world. Stocks were crashing. We lost a lot of value in our stocks. So our net worth went down about 220K. But since then, we've actually recovered about, I don't know, 130, 150% of what we lost. So as we're sitting here today, we have more money than we did in January of 2020, because we understand investments to be a long-term, a long-haul thing. So I didn't want to like sell in April because I thought everything was going to crash. This is a long-term thing. You will lose, lose some value. You will also gain some value. But history has clearly shown over the long-term, the vast majority of investors build wealth in the stock market, period. There are other investment options like Bitcoin and crypto and real estate. We don't do a lot of that. I have about 1% in crypto. And if we lose that tomorrow, I don't care. That's play money like we were just talking about. That's, that's my way of, of playing around with, with some of our cash. But yeah, the, the vast majority is in, is in index funds. It's higher risk, um, but we are okay shouldering that risk um, in, our, in our current situation at the moment. Right. So just to reiterate one thing you said is that you and Courtney have been living your happy lifestyle for the past 18 months. You mentioned January 2020 as the date. It's been 18 months since now. So you've been spending money to live your lifestyle for the last 18 months. And despite that year and a half of spending, your net worth is higher now than it was then because the majority of your net worth is still in the market and you're just letting it ride for the long haul, only selling if and when you need to essentially pull some cash out to fund your lifestyle. 
That's right. That that's exactly right. And we pull out less cash than we thought because, like I said earlier, it's way easier to make money in early retirement than than I thought. So these little side projects I do here and there, like IT work, maybe some writing for for some beer money. I mean that that adds up. So mm-hmm. quite frankly, we're we're not pulling out as much, nearly as much as we thought we were going to, because I was just able to supplement that that income, the the lifestyle expenses, with some side hustles that I do here and there. Takes almost no time, but I like doing them and that's that's certainly great. So um, right. the majority of our wealth when we did retire is still where it is when I did retire and that is in index funds. Right. So a cool picture to reiterate to some of the listeners is you, you grow your tree of wealth during your career. And when retirement comes, too many people believe that you cut down the tree and now you only have this wood to work with until you die. But that's not what you do. You let the tree keep growing and you only pick and choose small branches here or there to to burn as your cash while the rest of the tree is still growing. And for most retirees, and this isn't just Steve, this isn't just today because the market is hot. This is over long historical periods. Most retirees end up with more money when they die than when they retired, as long as they keep their money in the markets as long as they can. That's right. If you're an early retiree, the likelihood is you're not just going to stop making money and pulling from your investments for the rest of your life. The likelihood is very, very low of that happening because the earlier that you retire, that probably means the more innovative, the more creative, the more skills you have because you were able to get yourself to that point, make all that that money, get involved in businesses and build those skills and that, that experience necessary to even set yourself up for early retirement. So the likelihood of you retiring and then never doing anything for money again, I think is incredibly low. There's always going to be opportunities out there. You don't have to take them, but when you do need them, or if you just want them for whatever reason, I mean, that's, those are, those are good ways to supplement your lifestyle expenses with something you do on the side that doesn't take a lot of time but you still like doing and you make a little cash out of it. Cool. Thanks, Steve. Before I go on, Steve, I'm just curious, before I end with the, the fun little questions at the end, do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about or anything else that's popped into your head in the past few minutes? No, I would say that the, the thing that I want everybody to get out of this podcast, this particular one with me is you don't have to compare yourself to our story. Not everyone is going to be able to retire at 35. I understand that. I had a great upbringing. I had loving parents. Going to college was never really an option for me. It was happening. Mm-hmm. There's no question that I had it way, way easier than a lot of people out there. So when you look at my story, I want to encourage you not to compare your numbers to mine or your age to mine. What I want you to do is take a look at your life from a higher level, from a higher level, from the 10,000 foot level, and admit to yourself the things that are going right and also the things that aren't going so well. And with the things that aren't going well, what can you do to start riding that ship? For example, if you have nothing saved, if, if you have no emergency fund, if you would have to go into debt to cover a one or $2,000 emergency, 
let's face it, that's a problem. So maybe starting an emergency fund by 20 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, just getting that ball rolling in the right direction. I mean, that's the motivation that I want you to take out of this uh, podcast. Nothing about early retirement, nothing about, you know, accumulating millions of dollars and achieving financial in- independence. Just take this one step at a time, put those pieces in, into place. And I, can, and I can assure you that if you stay consistent with that, that, snow, that snowball will continue rolling, it will continue getting bigger, and you will be a much happier person for it. Thank you, Steve. I, I, a million, you know, thoughts are popping into my head because I agree with what you just said so much, but I'm not going to muddy the waters. That was perfect. That was a perfect uh, cap on all that financial advice. But now switching gears a little bit to a couple fun rapid fire questions, just so people can get a sneak peek into your, into your life outside of money, or maybe not. This one is kind of money related. What, what's the last material object or a personal luxury per se that you spent $100 or more on? Um, I just bought, I don't have yet, but I bought on Amazon, um, an under the desk treadmill. And that's mm. my way of getting some exercise, getting some steps in when I'm at my desk. Cause I spend so much time here just doing things during the day that, you know, I have an adjustable height desk so I can already stand instead of sit, but I think I'm just upping the ante by maybe allowing myself to get some steps in and getting some more exercise as I'm here in front of my desk. So an under the desk treadmill, I spent, uh, I think 360 bucks or something. So it didn't, you know, wasn't absurdly expensive, but I got it on Amazon should be here next week. So um, hopefully that, that works out well for me. <laughs> nice. Nice. And so that, that's like a powered treadmill, just like a yes. traditional treadmill just slips yep. right in there underneath. That, that, that's right. And, but there's no like handlebar that, that you'll, it's just the board. It's just the platform that uh-huh. you walk on. So I can put it literally anywhere and it, and it stores really nicely, you know, against the wall out of the way. So it's um, so ho- hopefully it'll work out well. It's a nice, small, unassuming way to get some more steps during the day. So cool. Cool. Cause right. Fitness and health matter, right? What's the point of being early retired if you're not healthy enough to enjoy it? Yeah. As I like to say, if you're not healthy, then your wealth is only meaningful to your kids. And by that, I mean, if you're not around to enjoy your wealth, you, you know, those who inherit your wealth, they're going to be the primary be- beneficiaries without health. There's your wealth is relatively, relatively meaningless to you specifically. And stick that on a t-shirt, I think. I would buy that t-shirt. That's a good one. <laughs> totally. Uh, what, uh, see, what's one, either either a good habit that you're trying to form or maybe a bad habit that you are trying to break? Boy, I love to snack. And it's not like <laughs> horrible. I'm not snacking all day, but I have a sweet tooth. I wish I didn't. I really, really wish I didn't. But I have a sweet tooth. I can eat an entire carton of frosting just with a spoon if I wanted to. I've never actually done that, but I could, Uh I could, that's the point. So one thing that I've been trying to do, especially over the last couple of weeks is don't snack at all during the day, have a reasonable lunch, reasonable dinner, no snacks in between, more water, that kind of thing. And that really goes back to the health thing that we were just talking about. I'm not, you know, overweight, I'm not unhealthy, but I always like to find ways to improve myself by challenging myself. And the snacking, whether it's like a piece of chocolate or pretzels or whatever, I'm really trying to cut that stuff out. And I've been pretty good over the last couple of weeks, and I'm starting to see some positive changes. 
Um, so yeah, nice. Would be how I how I'd answer that. Those positive changes, <laughs> that, that reinforcement is uh, is always nice to see. It always helps me. And one thing you said in there was a great little soundbite. I might not be able to repeat it word for word, but you said you're always looking for ways to challenge yourself, always looking for ways to improve yourself. And setting those kind of goals for yourself is a, is another version of you know, keeping yourself busy in retirement, just like you said, whether it's the work you do or whether it's the personal goals you have for yourself. I think that's hugely important. That's right. And if those goals are health related, I mean, that's going to set yourself up literally for anything else. So mm -hmm. good goals, good habits, good challenges are health related. No doubt about it. Cool. And last one, Steve, what <clears throat> would be a message that you would put on a billboard and share with the world? What would you say? I would say that the government does not define your retirement date. You do. So I think 65 is when Social Security happens now, or maybe it's 63. I think it's 62. 62, 62 is when you okay. can start. Yep. Okay. Let, let's say, okay. So the, it's 62, you retire, mm -hmm. you draw Social Security. That's like the defined retirement date. But that doesn't mean you have to work until you're, you're 62. 60, 55, I mean, that, that's all retiring early. So I think that the, I would encourage people not to just assume that you're going to just work till 62 and then draw social security. Don't leave yourself with that fallback. And, you know, if you could challenge yourself to retire a little bit earlier than that, whether it's decades early or maybe just a few years earlier, I think that's going to set yourself up to be to build yourself a bigger nest egg, which which is going to allow you to live a much, much happier and healthier retirement. I love it because if you set the goal today, I'm 31. Let's say I set the goal that I want to retire at 50, even better, 45. I want to retire go. at 45. Okay, let's fast forward 14 years. I didn't quite make my goal. I can only retire at 48. Well, it's that's like, not a oh darn. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's not a bad place to land. It's it sounds a little cheesy, but there's a the whole thing of you know, uh, aim for the stars aim for, I forget what it is, aim for the moon. And if you don't make it, you'll end up in the stars, right? right? Yep. It sounds cheesy, but it's that same idea. And it, and it really does work. Set a high bar and just go for it. And you'll be better off for that. Yeah. That, that reminds me of something else. I wish I would have said earlier in the podcast, because this, mm -hmm. this is gold. This is gold. I tell you, this is gold. So when you, you will be surprised at once this ball starts rolling, you will probably be able to retire sooner than you expected, not later than you expected. Because your habits change, your priorities change, your routine changes, and these things just build momentum so quickly. Our first, our first um, goal was to retire by 40. And then it's like, well, okay, what if we make it 38 instead? So for a while it was 38. And then it was like, we could do 30. We, we could do 35. Let's do this. Let's do this at 35. And I think all that happens because once you start making changes, you get used to your new lifestyle with maybe living with a little bit less and saving a little bit more. And you see those numbers add up. You see your investments skyrocket. You see your bank account increase. And it's and you're, you take a look at these, these numbers and this new way of life. And it's like, this is actually pretty cool. I'm not going to have to wait until 45. I'm doing this at 42 or I'm doing this at 40. You, you, you might be surprised at how often that happens. You get to retire sooner than you thought, not necessarily later. 
That is so cool. And that is gold. I mean, and, and you guys are, are a perfect example of it. And it's easy to see how that would happen. That is awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us, Steve. Yep, you got it. <laughs> so at this point, I'm assuming that any listener who wasn't already familiar with you is going to try to connect with you somehow. They want to find you. So how can people find you, Steve? I have a website at steveadcock.us where I publish a lot of blog posts, um, but you will find me most active on Twitter. My handle is Steve on Speed. I created that account back when I had my Corvette. So hence the on speed part it has nothing to do with drugs. It's just driving <laughs> fast because that's what I like to do. So Steve on Speed on Twitter or steveadcock.us um, on the blog. Very cool. Well, thank you, Steve. I having you on was an honor and you dropped some serious gold on us not necessarily gold that we'd invest in because we're probably in index funds but gold that we can i see what you did there i see what you did there that was good that was good (laughs) (laughs) thanks man all right i hope to talk to you soon bye-bye for now likewise thanks i appreciate it Thank you again to Steve. That was such a nice way to spend a Sunday afternoon, at least for me. Steve never disappoints, and I trust you listeners found that as helpful and as informative as I did, even with my bad jokes in there. And like Steve said, yeah, you can go find him on Twitter, where his username is at SteveOnSpeed. I'll link to it in the show notes, and I'll also link to his current website, steveadcock.us. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so via email, jesse at bestinterest.blog, or follow me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. Additionally, you can go to the podcast page on the blog, and I now have this handy little tool called SpeakPipe that allows you to record an audio message or a question, and I'll play it live on air and address it. If you guys want to reach out to me, that's an awesome way to do it. And if you guys keep on listening, which I'm so happy you are, I will keep producing. It's a happy little relationship we have, and you know the usual drill. The best interest is a business, and it does help my business when you listen, when you leave a rating, or when you leave a review of the podcast. You can also subscribe. So if you haven't yet, please consider leaving a rating, leaving a review, or subscribing to the podcast. I do appreciate it, you guys. And if you find this valuable and want to give back, that's how you can do it. It's all free for you, absolutely free. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. But thank you all. Thanks for listening to episode 16 of the Best Interest Podcast. Steve and his wife, Courtney, who is also early retired, they live in an off-grid, they live in an off-grid environment. Oh my gosh. I'm going to start over, Steve. Don't worry. It's all good. (laughs) I'm going to add this stuff out. Yeah, it's all good. I'm going to go back to the beginning of that sentence.